everybody. Happy Sunday, happy Father's Day, happy Juneteenth, all at the same time. If you've got a birthday today, happy birthday to you. My name is Pete. I am one of the pastors here. I am super glad that you are here as well. Welcome to those of you who are at home online. Today we're going to take one of the passages from our weekly Bible reading plan from Psalm 22, and we're just going to do the whole dang psalm. It's 31 verses that deal passionately and honestly with the tension around suffering and trust in God in this life. This psalm is a psalm of David. It's used throughout the New Testament. This one gets quoted perhaps more than any other psalm, as well as uh, existing here in God's prayer book in the Psalms. The opening line of this psalm may sound familiar to you. It's actually quoted by Jesus as he is dying on the cross. This psalm has always been considered uniquely intense and inclusive, and it shows us God's presence in our suffering, even in those times where we can't necessarily see or feel it. Uh, psalm 22 opens with two passages of complaint, and there's a lot of complaint going on in this psalm. They're each followed by expressions of trust. We're just going to dive in and read from Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice but I find no relief. And so you can see already in this passage, if you have ever felt abandoned by God, anybody know what that feels like? I do. Anybody ever feel like you've been abandoned by God? You are not alone. David, who's the king of Israel, who God called a man after God's own heart, experienced the same thing. And Jesus, dying on the cross, quoted this passage. And if I were Jesus, I would have felt abandoned while being crucified too. This prayer starts with intense and agonizing suffering without any clear presence of God in it, and that is a lousy place to be. And I know that we have people here today who are going through experiences like this. We know from our connection cards where people share honestly with prayer requests about what they're going through. We know this because we have relationships with each other and we get to hear each other's life stories. And all of us know someone in our lives who is going through a season like this in one way or another. If you can't think of anybody right now, God bless you. You're in a fortunate place. And so we just want you to know, if you are feeling alone or abandoned, you are not doing faith wrong. The people of God have gone through these seasons for thousands of years. We continue to run into them today, and we know they're coming in the future. Jesus had the very same feelings, and he was the Son of God. The psalmist's loneliness and desire for God are both intense and unanswered. Every day they cry out to God, every night they lift their voice, but their prayers have not done anything yet that they can see. And yet the psalmist still uses a phrase that doesn't show up anywhere else in the psalms, my God. This is the only place where that's used. You may not have given me what I want, but you are mine. Everything may not be turning out rosy, but I am your people and you are my God. Sometimes all we have left is to hang on to our faith despite our circumstances, maybe by like one knuckle or one fingernail. Sometimes it feels like we're falling. That's the place where today's prayer comes from. Next, the psalmist remembers trust, but does so in a way that is almost bitter. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you, 
and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. As we'll see later, that's not the experience of the psalmist in today's story. This illustrates one of the challenges of the life of faith, and that is that we can always remember the blessings or stories of God's goodness. Can you remember a time when God was good or did a blessing for you or someone you love? Hands up if you can. Who can remember blessings, right? We can remember the blessings of God toward ourselves or toward other people. We have the stories of the Bible, too, about how God rescued the Jews from slavery and oppression in Egypt and set them free. We have stories that can give us faith because God has done miracles, and we know God can still do miracles, and we can pray, God, do the same for us. And yet, at the same time, sometimes these memories aren't enough. Sometimes they feel hollow when we are still suffering today. These stories can produce envy in our heart, like, why haven't you rescued me, God? It's easy to remember that in these stories, God's rescue sometimes took a long time. Like when God rescued the Jews from slavery, it took 40 years to reach the promised land. But in our troubles, we want stuff to be fixed right now, right away, pronto, please. Because sometimes it feels like we're just about to give up, or like we already have. In my experience, however, rarely does the answer to intense suffering come quickly. And so the psalmist remains in hard times, despite remembering the goodness of God in the past. The psalmist continues, but I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. And so this is just the start of the psalmist's suffering being described poetically. I'm a worm, not a man. And talking about how everyone else sees him. Everyone scorns me, despises me, sneers at me, shakes their head at me. In the past, God rescued the people when they cried out, but not me right now. Instead of rescue, the psalmist gets scorn and derision and mockery. All they have for comfort is the sarcasm of people who don't believe. Oh, this is a so-called follower of God? This is what it means for you to be loved by God? In some ways, this psalm expresses some of our worst fears when we're in our own valley of death. It may help to know that this is what Jesus was suffering. He was mocked in the same way when he lived among us. The soldiers who were beating him said, if you're the son of God, tell us which one just hit you. He was taunted on the cross. If you're the son of God, why don't you climb on down? Something about when we're at our lowest draws attacks from some people. We all have people in our lives who have knowingly or unknowingly come after us while we're down, when we're feeling alone or abandoned or in despair. King David and Jesus experienced the same exact thing. If you have been in a low place, and if the trauma of mockery and shame have been part of your experience, please know this will pass. As we see in the Psalms, the death, and, the death of Jesus is followed by the resurrection of Jesus. The disgrace of David is followed by the rescue of God. We have a God who walks with us through even the hardest times. Even the times where you can't tell, it's actually God carrying you. God has a rescue coming for you and for the people you love, just as God did for David, just as God did for Jesus, and just as God is going to do for all of us in similar situations. If you are in this kind of place, I'd like to just lead us in praying for you. If you have loved ones who are in a place like this, I encourage you to hold them in your heart as we pray. 
God, we just uh, pray that you would come and bring rescue. We pray that you would lift us up out of disgrace, out of despair, out of abandonment. We pray that you would put an end to the mockery and the shame. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would lift us free, that you would bring liberation and healing and freedom. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. After these complaints uh, comes another memory of God's faithfulness, verses 9 and 10. And yet you, Lord, brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. And so the psalmist is able to walk through doubt and abandonment and still have gratitude for what God did in the past. That's a good thing that we can sometimes hold on to for a little bit of help when we're hanging. The psalmist has loved God from their earliest memory and knows it's still the same God in good times and in hard times. Still the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so the psalmist cries out in verse 11 before really detailing how rough things have gotten. Verse 11, do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in like lions. They open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. And so we see here, even in the middle of a painful passage to read, the psalmist does have what you might call a mustard seed of faith. A mustard seed is a tiny seed. Jesus taught that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, eventually you can move mountains. And here we have the psalmist going through suffering and public mockery, and he cries out, Do not stay so far from me, God. Only you can help. And after that small expression of faith, he launches into detailing all the ways that he is suffering and hurting, and it hurts. Surrounded by enemies, numerous as bulls, roaring and tearing at him like prey, whole body devastated, bones out of joint, heart melting, strength gone, unable to speak, left in the dust, and enemies are still closing in. In pain enough to count all his bones, and so sure he's dead that they're gambling for his clothes already. And from here, we can see why the New Testament quotes from this so often. This is what Jesus went through. And so, although these words are the prayer of a person who lived a long time before Jesus came, we as Christians also see them in a new light. They are the suffering of a human being who was the Son of God. And that makes them an expression of our suffering, of human suffering, and an expression of God suffering with us. God who leaves heaven to become one with us and share everything we go through, including the kind of pain that this passage is talking about. The graphic nature of the pain here assures us 
God walks through everything with us. And so you can know with full confidence, God does not abandon you in suffering. Instead, God has shared the exact same kind of pain because God chooses to identify with us, to come here and be one with us so that we can be one with God. And so the psalmist prays in verse 19, O Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. Now in the ancient Near East, these animal images which have been happening throughout here often symbolize demonic presence or spiritual evil and attack. And so we see here the psalmist is calling for help from his oppressors and from the spiritual forces of oppression. When we suffer, we face two challenges. There is the pain and trouble of our situation, which is real and hurts, and then there is the spiritual oppression that comes with it. Do you know what I'm talking about when that stuff happens to you and around you, and all of a sudden things are happening inside of you at the same time? We experience that brokenness that happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, where they're tempted to believe that God is no longer good, that we are ultimately on our own, that we have to go and get whatever we can for ourselves, because that's the only hope that there is. We need help for both kinds of challenges when we're suffering. Of course we cry out to God to change our circumstances, right? But we also need God to bring relief from the spiritual oppression that accompanies our circumstances. The Bible talks about how the experience of suffering can actually make us better when we're able to endure the challenges with our faith intact. Now, at the same time, no one wants to prolong the suffering or the challenges. Amen? And so, of course, pray and ask God to bring it to an end. The Bible says, tell God what you need as well as thank him for what he's done. And so the psalmist prays for God's help against both the brokenness of our circumstances and the brokenness in our spirit. They pray, Lord, come quickly and save me from my enemies, physical and spiritual. And so you or the folks you love may need salvation from broken circumstances, habits that keep coming back, financial challenges you can't see past, people who have mistreated you, or you may need help with the spiritual challenge of suffering without losing your faith. Either way, I want to pray for you and the people you love a second time. God, we pray for rescue in two ways. Would you rescue us from circumstances that are evil, from people who do evil toward us, from situations where evil has captured our heart or our body yet again? Would you set us free, God, and the people we love? And we also want to pray, God, for that spiritual oppression that comes from doubting your goodness, that comes from the tempter telling us that you are not good, that tempts us to give up hope and to turn away from doing good for other people. Set us free, God. Help us to have faith, to trust, and to do good even in the dark night of our soul. Help us again, God. Send your Holy Spirit today. Amen.
In the next verses, the psalmist makes the kind of deal that I talked about in a sermon a couple weeks ago. These deals are throughout the book of Psalms and the New Testament as well. And that's where people tell God, you rescue me and I will give you the credit. When we pray that way, we're actually turning God's work into a pathway to new relationships with God. We're saying, you do good here, and I will tell about your good to other people, and they will come into relationship with you. We will be brothers and sisters in your family together, God. We turn our prayer requests into the mission of God. We ask for help, and then we offer to join God in bringing healing and restoration to the rest of the world. That is the ultimate work of God. In the book of Revelation, it says that one day God's going to come and bring heaven to earth says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. God works to make things new for the glory of God and for the good of the whole world. The God who will one day restore all things is in the business of restoring things today as well. And so as we experience God's liberation and healing in the present, we just give God the credit, right? And so I talked about how foxhole prayers, you know, God, do good for me, and all of a sudden I'm going to become a perfect human being. Have you prayed some version of that? I'm never going to do that terrible thing I do all the time, right? I'm not going to be angry ever again. I'm not going to think bad thoughts ever again. I'm going to suddenly be... That's all. That's not going to work, right? You're going to stay human. But we can do something. We can say, God, rescue me, and I'll tell someone about it. Rescue me, and I will give you the credit. Rescue me, and you're going to come into relationship with people who give you the glory for it, God. All right. This week is our new national holiday, Juneteenth. This is the first holiday in America that started in American churches as a celebration of the freedom of God. How on board should we be with this holiday? A hundred percent on board. I cannot imagine a better passage for this holiday or a more clear evidence that God is still in the business of setting people free from suffering today. Of course, there's still a ton of work to be done for those who are oppressed Yes, the world is still screwed up, but the God who set the Israelites free is the God who rescued David, the God who resurrected Jesus Christ, is the God who brought emancipation to the slaves in America. The God who did all these things is the God who is right here, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring freedom and healing and restoration and all the good things of God to every one of his people. And so let's just agree that as God does these things, we're going to make God famous. We're going to celebrate what God has done. Verse 22, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. <coughs> Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. When you are in the greatest need, you are the most on God's heart. Whoever is in the greatest need is the most in the heart of God. 
The psalmist, in their worst hour, identifies with the suffering of the needy, just like Jesus, in the parable of the sheep and goats, identifies with the poor and needy. Jesus says, whenever you offer food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothing to the naked, a visit in prison to someone who is locked up, you are encountering Jesus Christ there. Because God does not turn away from those in greatest need. God enters into the pain and suffering at cost to God's own self, embracing and identifying with you in your darkest hour. God comes with hope and trust and faith that can, in the end, take you all the way through the long, dark night of your soul. And this gives the psalmist reason to praise. That praise continues in verse 25. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. And this is where Psalm 22 really stands out from the rest of Psalms. It is the most inclusive vision of God's work and God's salvation. All who seek the Lord will praise him. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him because you know what? It is God who rules over the whole thing. For us as Christians, this is an incredible vision of what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is breaking into this world, and one day it's going to break in fully and completely, and everything and everyone will be remade anew. Revelation says all the nations will come before God, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and Jesus will be glorified. And through the people of God, healing will come to the whole world. And so the psalmist closes in verse 29, let the rich of the earth feast and worship, bow before him all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust, our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous act will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. And on Father's Day, how comforting is this? Does it seem like your children don't listen to you? I had mine in first service, and I went, ahem, one of them woke up, right? Okay? This is good news here. Our children are going to hear the good news one way or another someday. And so for those of you who are fathers, God bless you. For those of you who are not fathers, God bless you as well, most obviously. The psalmist is inclusive of all peoples and all future generations. That is the scope of God's vision for salvation. That is the expansive nature of the work of Jesus Christ. It is God's will that none would perish, but that all would have everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That includes you. God does not want to see you die. Not today, not ever. God's desire expressed with love through the coming of Jesus Christ is to spend forever with you. 
If you have not made the decision to follow God through Jesus, I encourage you, make it today. Do not let another day go by without joining into God's plan for the whole world, which is reconciliation to God and to one another through Jesus Christ, the beginning of eternal life and transformation forever. We find this through receiving Jesus as the Son of God. I want to encourage you to pray a prayer of faith with me today. Please stand as you are able. Worship team can come back forward at this time. You can pray this prayer with me, whether it's your first time or your thousandth time. We'll just say amen at the end if you would like to join in. So God, uh, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for putting passages in your prayer book where we can read and know that we are not alone. No matter how abandoned, no matter how alone we've been, no matter what our circumstances are telling us, you have come, you have revealed yourself, and your plan includes every one of us here today. Every one of us. And so we say, Jesus Christ, thank you for revealing God to us. We accept your vision, your truth, and your coming. And God, we ask that you would begin to show us how to live. Show us your presence here. Send your Holy Spirit now, God. Set us free. Do your work of emancipation again. We're going to need it again, God. We're going to need it again tomorrow. We're going to need it again the next day. And the next day and the next. Thank you for your work of setting people free, God. And so we just give ourselves to you. We ask that you would do that in us and then through us. Bring freedom to your world, to everyone that you love, to every person who lives. Holy God. Together we can say, Amen. I've got three tips for you for putting the Word of God into practice as we have received it today. Tip number one read Psalm 22. It is amazing and it actually pops up throughout Scripture and shows Christ identifying with us in our hardest places. Tip number two pray your complaints and your trust. You might have trouble with one of those two things. Do them both. Pray the things that you've held against God in one way or another. And in the end, pray, my God, my God. Tip number three, share a God story from your life. This deal that shows up in Scripture again and again and again isn't you're going to be perfect now. It's just that you're going to give some credit to God when God does good things. And so find a reason to tell someone one story of a thing God has done for you. Maybe I can wangle into Father's Day dinner to my girls like, hey, I was an addict and God set me free and isn't it nice you don't have an addict for a dad? And they'll probably be like, yeah, whatever, dad, on the outside. But when they get older, they'll know what that means, right? God gets the credit. If you're on the prayer team, could you come up here right now, please? Yep. Got at least a couple volunteers, that's great. Uh, We close with worship and prayer because it's the most important thing you can do when you get here on a Sunday. It's the most important part of the service. And so I want to encourage you to offer yourself to God during this time. And it might be good for you to come up and have somebody pray for you today. In particular, if you are experiencing abandonment and suffering and hanging on by a knuckle or a fingernail or just plain falling, let someone else have faith. Let someone else pray for you. You can share as much or as little as you're comfortable and we will just pray good things because God loves you. If you need God's help with circumstances beyond your control, feels like you're no longer running the ship, 
This is a great day to let God run the ship. You can come up here and have someone to pray that for you as well. We'll close with worship. The team will let us know when it's time to go. And if you're visiting today, I'd love to meet you after the service. God bless you, friends.